on TV, online and on your smartphone. This is Ticken News. This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and you're watching Talk Your Book and today we're lucky to be joined by James Williamson from Wentworth Williamson. James, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you so much, Chris. Lovely to be back. Now, the last time you were on the show was a couple of years ago, and you spoke to MMA Offshore, which was about 40 cents at the time. It's now a $2 stock, so a five-bagger. I hope you're not feeling any pressure come, um, come the stock you're going to speak about today. A little bit of pressure, Chris, but um, <laughs> I think I've got a good one for you. <laughs> Look, thanks very much. Uh, hey, what stock did you want to talk about today? I want to talk about Fleetwood. Um, there's a couple of similarities between MRM and Fleetwood, and I think uh, I think your timing's good. So let's just give us a, a broad picture of uh, the valuation metrics of Fleetwood. What size company is it? What's its market cap? Um, and maybe how much cash has it got on hand? So Fleetwood is um, also a fallen darling from that sort of 2011-2012 sort of time. Um, where it's been lost in the wilderness. So today it's only a 170 million market cap company. Yeah. Um, it's got about $45 million of net cash and it's got property assets circa 30 million. And now it's, it's a it's, very asset rich as well. And its main asset at the minute, uh, I would thought in, in valuation was very much a market darling asset back in the last mining boom. And that's its Sea Ripple asset in Karatha. Talk us through that asset, what they do and what their earnings profile looks like. Yeah, that's right. So when you had that mining boom, you remember those, those years, 2008, 2009, right up to 2012, where everything was booming and they have a fly-in, fly-out hotel in Karatha and that, that hotel was running at full capacity and, and that made up to $50 million of EBIT. And then for a couple of years, um, occupancy rates fell down to about 30% roughly which meant the business only made about $10 million of EBIT. And the disclosure was pretty bad back then, but really if you go back to see what was driving the earnings back then, it was pretty much this flying flyout hotel. And so the story is, is here we go again. I think we're in for another a boom cycle of a couple of years. And Rio Tinto have just signed some interesting contract, contracts with that asset maybe talk us through phase one phase two of those contracts and and what they look like and what they could mean for sea ripple yeah so what the management team did during the last boom um they did these one-year contracts with options um i guess people have learned from that and the new management team have signed a three-year contract which sort of kicks off from april this year until and it's it's a three-year contract take or pay which takes occupancy rates to 50 percent and already you know with, a, with a, the operating leverage on a hotel, every time you up your occupancy rate, say from 10, from from 30% to 50% has a massive impact on your EBITDA. So and EBITDA will go from- em, Sorry to interrupt, James, by our back of envelope numbers, at 20% occupancy, sea ripples about break even. Is that a reasonable way to look at it? Correct. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. 30% you make 10%, 50%, where they'll be soon uh, in April, roundabout. Um, the business will make $25, $30, $30 million of EBITA, that division alone. Yeah. 
And there are other potential clients looking for rooms in that Karratha region. Who are they and, and what sort of timelines could you put on that happening? Uh, you've, got, you've got your fertilizer plants, you've got Yarra fertilizer where they do a bit of business with already. Um, we've got the massive Perdamon build, which has started. And it looks like you're going to be short rooms. And the important thing is with shutdowns happening in that activity, you don't ever want to be short rooms. Um, and essentially what you could play the game is that if there's going to be a period where something's going to be short, I mean, your, your rates just go up massively too. And so we, we are heading to a period, a bit like the MRM story. Remember that there was no ships, no new ships. And then all of a sudden your demand picks up and then everybody's rates start to increase. It's a bit like that. There hasn't been any new builds for many, many years. Um, demand's picking up and, and rates are going up too. So it, it's not dissimilar in that respect. And when they're chasing down 15 occupancy, we don't want to get too carried away on the bullish thematic, but it is possible these assets, you can be above 100% occupancy potentially because companies can pay for rooms then their mining project gets delayed. They don't actually need the rooms and there's a negotiation to resell those rooms. That's even a potential possibility if things do get really frothy. Is that fair? Absolutely, it's fair. Yep, yeah, absolutely, that can happen. And talk, okay, so that's, that's the, um, the community solutions. Talk us through the, the building solutions business division. What do they do? And it's a bit of a turnaround story. Perhaps what went wrong in recent history and why is that changing? Well, I think the other point about, well, the mining boom went down um, post-2012, so we saw that in Syracuse, but then we also had a, a management team and, um, to be fair, wasn't very good and went on an acquisition strategy on the modular building side. And, you know, Chris, if you're just going to go by some guys, the barriers to entry in modular building are actually very low. So if you're going to go out and just buy somebody's revenue, some guy's a very good operator and runs his business lean, and just keep on um, buying his businesses to get that geographical reach, you're probably on a hard into nothing. And that's exactly what he did is because he, he leads, the businesses built around this individual. So they kept on doing all these acquisitions and, and frankly, they just didn't work. And um, the businesses weren't integrated nationally. They weren't cooperating. They weren't lean manufacturing. They were doing large fixed price contracts. Some of them with some civil work involved. So it was just, it was actually when Paul Bruce came in, who's the CEO, um, and he came in during COVID too, poor guy, but it was just a, it was a big turnaround. And the good news is, is that he's turned that inflection point. He's, he's, he's pulled that business uh, completely around and you'll see it in the H1 at the end of this, uh, end of this month when they report. And so they're not building bespoke residential homes. I think that's probably worth articulating. What sort of things are they building? And maybe who are their, who are their major clients? Yeah, so it, it, he changed the strategy and you saw that order book shrink and now it's expanding again because of that. So he's, he's, um, he, they've always done schools pretty well because you, you tend to build the same thing and you're not a builder, you're actually a manufacturer. So you've got to think yeah. like that. You've got to do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, moved into social housing quite recently at the back end of last year, really had a big push, social housing, low cost housing. And, and quite obviously in Australia, we, we need that. Um, and, and in WA, it's about 50% of their order book already. So that's, that's growing and there's a huge amount of work there. Um, there's no question that it's much, much cheaper than in situ, especially in rural areas, especially when you take variations into account. Yeah. So um, there, there's a lot to be done there. Um, and more recently, we've all seen um, moving to defense 
um, is uh, kindergarten or nursery schools. That's another one that's happening. Aged care, um, it's all on. And that's the type of repetitive type of work you've got to do day in, day out. And if you full capacity in your one plant, you've got to sort of channel work into your other plants and you have to be fully integrated. And so, so most you, of their customers are actually government contracts. So it's a really good counterparty. I thought that New South Wales and Vic announcement recently about, what was it called, Universal Kindergarten and the potential rollout of that, that could be a potential tailwind for that building division. Yeah, that's right. It's actually even a bit more than that because New South Wales um, and actually South Australia, but New South Wales was was loss making and he's, he's turned that business around and started making profits. Um, it is profitable again. So that was quite a big drag on the business. And it was even a drag when they were making $10 million of EBIT. So turning around that very important areas is, a, is, is quite a pivotal point as well. Um, and even but yes, these, these announcements are important. And they've got seven factories spread around Australia. That sort of geographical reach can be quite an advantage when you're dealing with government contracts. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's been reliable. Um, that's what it comes down to. So, you know, if you contract out with Fleetwood, they can get the work done. And that's, that's the important thing versus just the, you know, the local guy. And so what sort of margins do you, would you hope to see in the near term for that building divisions unit? And where can they get to, say, in two or three years when it's optimised fully? Well, run, I would say if you look pre-COVID, because, you know, we went through a couple of years of terror during COVID, because if you've got a, a business that requires people to come to work, it's not fun. Um, but if you look pre-COVID, run by the old management team, run badly. It was about about 5% uh, operating margin. Run well, it should be at least double that. And so it's, a, it's a significant revenue business, isn't it? It's the biggest division by revenues. How, what, what are you expecting will their revenues be over this financial year? So I'll focus, I'll focus on the margin, really. So it used to make about $10, $10 million on a 5% margin. So even if you don't necessarily increase your revenue by a great deal, but you do the right type of work, yeah. um, and, you, and, you, and you increase your margins, that business can can in time do at least double. But that said, I do think that you can grow your revenue. I just think the important thing is to get the type of work right and the margins first. Um, doing big contract type work to um, to some of these other players, you just want to hide into nothing eventually. And that's not what they're doing. And the last business division we'll, we'll have a look at. Um, is their RV solutions business, which Bruce has described as non-core and a seller at a right price. But I, reading between the lines, it feels he's very much not a force seller with this division. Is that how you see it? No, absolutely. You're not a force seller when you've got, um, when your market cap's 107 and you've got $45 million net cash in your balance sheet. Yeah. So it's got to be the right price. And, and to be fair, Chris, if you look back a year ago, um, you know, Sea Ripple hadn't kicked off yet and the modular building business was losing money and you're a small little company and forgotten about as well is not really the time to be a breakup story. Yeah. The breakup story is the two, three years ahead is when you see these numbers falling and it's pretty, it's getting visible now. You'll see it in this H1, you'll see in April, Sea Ripple starting to kick off. Um, I mean, there's no, there's no question that, um, that you can you can do a sum of the parts of this business pretty quickly and it comes it's pretty obvious. 
And even that RV solutions business, I think the EBITDA last year was just under 7 million and just under 10 million the year before and still profitable. So you would be reasonable, I assume, to slap sort of a four to six times multiple on something like that. Is that sort of ballpark to how you're viewing it? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. It's not a wildly fast growing business, but it's a nice, it's, it's a good business, good niche. Um, they're quite good at bringing out new products too. So it's um, a good, a good tight little business. Yep. Beautiful. James would say uh, it's a compelling story. Thank you for walking us through it. And um, hopefully it's half as good for you as MMA Offshore was uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. It's lovely chatting to you again. Thanks, James.